You're listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast, where we teach you to stay away from those who say things like this. The first point that I'm going to talk to you about being empowered to lead uh, is this, this idea. I want you to know that first, number one, you were born to lead. So you're like, I, I don't see myself as a corporate CEO. I don't see myself as, a, as necessarily an entrepreneur. Some, you do see yourself as that, and you feel like you're trapped in a dead-end role, in a dead-end job. And that you feel that there's more. I, I believe God's going to speak to you and give you visions. He's going to give you dreams about what's next. And then he's going to show you how to gain wisdom as you prepare to move into that. And those who say this. Baptism is intended to be a symbol that symbolizes death into life. It's like a burial followed by a birth. Right. Or this. The Bible says when Jesus held up that bread... On that night with his disciples, he just simply said, this would symbolize my body. As well as those who've never studied Greek, but want you to believe they have. God's plan is for you and I, his people, to live and walk in power. Now this word power is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis, it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's time now to join your hosts pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss, and whoever else they invite as they continue their quest to train you in properly dividing law and gospel and staying away from the sacramentarians. Well, Pastor Kearns, what leaven has gotten into the lump this week? Well, you know, it's always a great pleasure to be with you and uh, for us to be together in critiquing these sermons. Actually, what happened, I was listening to Easter sermons. The thought is, like, if you mess up an Easter sermon, this is really, really bad. But actually, I heard a lot of really good ones, even from guys who typically, you know, are just out in left field. Well, praise God for that. That that was good. That's excellent. And, you know, that's so important, too. Uh, When St. Paul talks about what his gospel is, the gospel that he received— uh, he talks about the death of Jesus, his burial, and his resurrection as the key things in his gospel, and of course, for the forgiveness of sins. And so to whiff on any of those things would really be a bad deal. Well, as I was listening to this guy, I don't even know where he is. It'll come to me maybe a little bit later on. Uh, his name is Gabe Miller. Impact Church. Okay, so that tells you something right there. Is that a biblical term, impact? <laughs> Is that? I, I wonder if that even shows up in the in the Bible anywhere. I think it's in the uh, Apocrypha. <laughs> Maybe so. So I saw his Easter sermon and just kind of scrolling through, looking at uh, other sermons that he had preached, and I pretty much was going to move on. However, he had a sermon about baptism. I gave it a listen. And uh, it really intrigued me in some spots, but then also it made me angry in others. And so I, I wanted to uh, play it for you. So we're not doing we're not doing the resurrection of our Lord. We're doing nope. baptism. Baptism. Okay. All right. Yep. I want to jump into what uh, what I, what I believe the Lord wants me to talk to you about today. Because I think it's very important. Whoa, uh, wait a second. You're already rolling your eyes. This you guy had even... Roll. I don't know how many sentences he was into it. I think one sentence. Well, in all fairness, I did cut out the the cheerleading that happens okay. at the very beginning. So he's, so he's already shifted from news to the congregation 
to now what he just said about uh, this is what the Lord has. This is what I believe the Lord has. Well, I want to jump right away into what I believe the Lord wants me to say today. Is that something like something, something yeah, to that yeah, effect? Yeah. Wow. How does he? How does he know that? How does he know what the Lord believes? Or how does he? How does he know what the Lord wants him to say? Downloads. Downloads. He gets exact, direct downloads. Okay, so our radar should be up already, right away, right away. So somebody should be going, "Ooh, hold on here, kids, plug your ears, honey, grab your purse, put it in your lap. We might be, might be leaving here pretty soon." I think they ought to. And isn't this interesting? There's no control of electionary here, right? Sort of no control of the wisdom of the church for the ages that that really controls Lutheran proclamation. You know, like last night at Sound Words Academy, that is a tough text. John sixteen five to fifteen. I'm working on it for Sunday right now, and good for you. <laughs> but you're not dodging the bullet. You're you're not running away from the text. What the Lord has given you to preach is right here in the lectionary. So you better step up to the plate and deliver to the people what is right in front of you. But imagine if if you were dodging that bullet and kind of you know, this kind of non-lectionary preaching is is simply following the whim of the preacher and not the wisdom of the church. That is a pellet of gold right there. Because I've, I've been there in a, a non-liturgical setting, like actually, you know, for the last 40 years of my life up until uh, becoming Lutheran. Could you just for a few moments kind of parse out a lectionary and what that is for those folks that we well, remember how we were talking in Greek class about folks that have like blinders on their ears. They just can't really hear certain things, even though you say it over and over. Do you mind parsing that out a little yeah, bit? Let's, let's just, dis, let's discuss that together. How's that? 10-4. So <clears throat> a lectionary is a series of readings that maps over the entire year of the church and the year of the church uh, is really uh, rooted um, uh, in the, it begins in Advent and runs to the end, what we call the end of the church year. So as soon as you have the last Sunday of the church year, the next one is the first Sunday of Advent. And for each of those, uh, so each of the seasons sort of has a theme. Uh, Advent is all about how the Lord comes to us. Then we get Christmas where he comes to us in the flesh of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Um, then we have Epiphany. Uh, and the Epiphany season is about uh, the Lord revealing himself in the flesh of Jesus to, to the world. <clears throat> After that begins the season of Lent. And Lent is a penitential season that leads up to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Why the penitential theme? Well, the penitence is, that, is because of this. In the cross of Christ, we must see our own sin. If God's Son must be put to death to save us from our sins, our sins are not to be trifled with. Now we're in the Easter season, uh, and the Easter season lasts seven weeks, and then we uh, enter what is known as the time of the church, which begins with Pentecost, which is 50 days after the Lord Jesus ascended to heaven. And then we enter the Trinity season uh, almost immediately after Pentecost, and that is really vignettes from the life of Christ. So the gospel lessons are all plug into the, uh, well, the gospel and the epistle lessons all plug into these kind of themes of the church year. 
Now, our lectionary in the in the Western Church, and th- th- this is just not to be trifled with, is over 1,500 years old. I mean, imagine this. And it's wonderful for us as Lutherans when we sit in church on Sunday and hear John 16, 5 to 15, Luther preached on that in the year 1531. Well, I'm just, you know, I don't know if he did or not, but that would have been the lesson that he would have had on Cantata Sunday. Bernard of Clairvaux heard the same lesson. Uh, The thousands and thousands, millions of medieval Christians heard the same exact lesson on that Sunday. It's just, there's... That is such a profound thought. I mean, connecting us in this time frame in the church to those who have gone before us, it makes the church so much richer and grander and bigger uh, than just, uh, you know, the whole Jesus lived at the time of your grandmother. I mean, this, this like spans millennia. And they're going through the exact same text. The pastors are wrestling with the exact same scriptures. Uh, Applying pe- it to different contexts. Exactly. Yes. Well, that's what exactly what I was getting yeah. ready okay, to say. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no, it's good. Yeah. I mean, it, which is just amazing that, that the Lord's Word for Cantata Sunday continues to speak to the church. Okay, so as we come in week after week, year after year, and hear the same scriptures, certainly not the same sermons, but the same scriptures sometimes applied differently, sometimes not. It puts us in a rhythm, like we're in a rhythm with the church year. And with all the saints who have gone before. Uh, and so you begin to live your life, in a way, you begin to live your life, living it in the church, in the church year, in the rhythm of the church year, is living your life in the rhythm of the mystical body of Christ, which is living your life in Christ. Is it? Is it not? Sure, but it sounds so Catholic. I mean, Advent and Epiphany and Holy Week and Lent. Whoa. So what it does, what a lectionary does, is it controls the preaching of the church so that it hits the chief important teachings of of the scriptures. I mean, does it matter how God comes to you? You bet it does. Uh, does it matter that um, that the salvation found in this Jew, Jesus of Nazareth, is for the whole world. You bet it does. Uh, Does it matter that we approach the suffering and death of of our Lord Jesus Christ with penitent hearts? Yeah, because I can't receive the benefits of that without without being a sinner. Uh, Does it matter that Jesus is victorious over the grave? You bet it does. That gives my entire life a trajectory and meaning and purpose. Does it matter that God sent the Holy Spirit to the earth? You bet it does, because now I don't have to crawl back to the cross to get me some Jesus. He comes to me through his word and sacrament. You see, all this stuff really, really uh, matters, um, and, and it picks up these chief teachings of, of the scriptures. You can, in a way, it maps over the, the entire creed, which is so beautiful. Of course, they don't have the creed either. <laughs> True. I've heard it explained like the first half of the church year, as you said, starting in Advent, and it would take us to Pentecost. Mm -hmm. The first half of the church year focuses on the life of Christ, and then the the back nine, so to speak, the back half is going to focus on the teachings of Christ. 
And, you know, there's a lot of overlap on both sides, but I just thought that was a great way to explain following the life of Christ before he's born, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Pretty much in order. Right. Yeah. And then we follow the teachings of Christ. That's where in the back half of the church year, the yep. Trinity season, mm-hmm. this is where you'd hear a lot of Jesus's parables. Sure, you hear his parables, and, and actually you get quite a few vignettes um, from his life. So the, the healing of the paralytic shows up there, the raising of the son of the widow of Nain. I, I remember when I, uh, well, in, in a discussion that I had with one of my friends, one of my secular friends, who knew that I was heading to the seminary, he said, yeah, you know, I think that would be pretty cool for you to, to become a pastor. Uh, every Sunday, you get to get up and talk about whatever you've been thinking about oh, all week long, and oh you've got my. a captive audience. Oh, my. So so his his conception of the role of, of a preacher was, was very different from what... Well, sure. I mean, I've got a little bit of, like bile in my in the back of my throat here just hearing is that. Is it bile or puke? Yeah, it's oh. it's it's all coming up. But it saddens me to think how many guys actually do that. Right? And and how many people in the pews, even in Lutheran pews, maybe assume that that's what's happening. Uh, that is not what's happening. All thoughts are taken captive to Christ. That's what the lectionary forces you to do. And it's a discipline. It's 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 difficult. There are times when I do not want to preach what the text has for me, because <laughs> of course. because I'm I'm having a tough time cracking the nut, or sure. I you know I th- my thoughts are somewhere else. Um, but this takes all thoughts captive to Christ. So we can already tell from this guy's opening salvo that he well he's not following a lectionary. He's definitely not. Following a lectionary, and when it, when you don't follow a lectionary, you become an enthusiast. And the enthusiasm here is, I believe God has told me to preach this to you. Right. And I'm going to do my best um, as I've kind of studied this and read multiple things on this and listened to, th- <laughs> to different things on this uh, specific topic to try to explain this to you and the importance of these things today. And so today we're wrapping up our series that we've called Ghost Stories, and it's uh, really this play on words where we're talking about the Holy Spirit. For the last five weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and so we've talked about keeping in step and the, the promise and the power and that he's our helper and reveals truth to us and he satisfies our thirst, that he's the producer of the fruit in our lives, and that fruit production is based on our identity and who's on the inside of us, amen. And we've been talking about all of these things, and today, I'm not going to take time to go through all of that for the sake of time today, but I would encourage you, if you've missed a message, go back on the podcast or on the app, check that out. But today, as we conclude this series, I've titled this message, if you're taking notes, The Importance of Baptism. The Importance of Baptism, and you'll understand, hopefully, a little bit better uh, what the Word of God says about baptism as we go through this today. And we've looked at this, uh, these three verses Every week, it's kind of been our theme verses for this series, and I want to read them again before we jump into uh, some new information, new content today. It's John chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. Oh, Pastor Kearns, you sneaky devil. Did you? <laughs> he is following a lectionary. <laughs> That's unbelievable that we were just talking about. Did you, 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 you didn't have this in mind at all. But Okay, That's super uh. funny. So that, just so everybody knows, the day we're recording this is the 29th of 
April. And on the 2nd of May is Cantata Sunday. The gospel is John 16, 5 to 15. So we've both been working with this. It'll be interesting to, to see what he well, thinks. Well, I don't think, if I'm not mistaken, he's not going to talk about those texts. He's just going to read it because yeah, they're, just they the were theme. selected for the theme. Gotcha. So ghost, ghost stories. stories. Ghost stories. What's yeah. interesting is kind of the backwards way that he's slipped into this, isn't it? That if a Lutheran wanted to talk about the fruits of the Spirit, a Lutheran would first talk about how you get the Spirit, specifically through your baptism and through the preached word. But it's kind of like the cart is before the horse in his approach. Jesus says, but now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And so our whole idea with this series is that Jesus himself said, it's better for me to go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. And so we need to know why is it so important that the Holy Spirit is here? Why is it so important that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us as believers? And we need to better understand who he is and what he does and and what he's here for if Jesus said, it's better that I leave so that he can come. And so it's very important for us to understand these things. And as we kind of jump into uh, talking about baptism today, I would assume that most of us have heard the term baptism before. If you've grown up in church at all, you've probably heard the term baptism. And uh, we're going to kind of branch off of this word today and maybe give you some things that you haven't thought about or maybe you haven't understood in this way or maybe you have and this is all just a refresher for you. But we all probably have different thoughts about what baptism means, what it represents. and Yes, we do, and that's the problem. It is a problem. Uh, obviously, there's low catechesis in this congregation. No one's teaching them what it means and what it is. And what's interesting is that he says what it means and what it represents. A Lutheran would say what it is and therefore what it means. Or and what it does. And what it does, right, yeah. This reminds me of the the four or five blind men that are surrounding an elephant, each touching a part of the elephant and all saying something different other than what it is. Mm -hmm. You're not supposed to do that with baptism. It's not somebody on one side thinking it's one thing and somebody on the other side thinking it's another. Right. And, you know, fortunately, you're, you're right about that. Fortunately, it seems like what, what he wants to do is cut through that confusion. Yeah, he's the one is, who's bringing, yeah. bringing the answer. Right. And that's good. Um, it should happen in catechesis, obviously. I mean, there, there wouldn't be a kid in our congregation past the age of 10 who wouldn't have a fairly good definition of baptism. Because they hear it at church all the time. They see baptisms and they participate actually in the rite, R-I-T-E, of baptism for said individual, whether that individual is their younger brother or whether it's some guy they don't even know. And baptism is included in hymnody. It is, um, it's explained, as you said earlier, in catechesis. Yeah. Uh, it could be based on what we've experienced. It could be based on what we were taught. It could be based uh, upon uh, different denominational backgrounds and whether or not uh, maybe the church that you were a part of growing up talked about the Holy Spirit, didn't talk about the Holy Spirit, those types of things. Uh, most of us would probably think of water baptism when we hear the word baptism. 
whenever we start talking about baptism, the majority of us would think, well, that's where, you know, you're baptized in the water, and that is true, but we're going to kind of branch out a little bit today um, as we talk about these different things. And so as we jump in uh, to a couple of points today, I want to begin by defining what the word baptize in essence really means. And a simple definition of what it means, we have this on the screen uh, to help us kind of know where we're going today. But this is what to be baptized in its simplest form means. It's to immerse or submerge. What lexicon do all these guys read? Because they all say the same thing. That baptizo means to dunk or immerse. When actually it means to wash. I don't know. What what is the what what email went out <laughs> to all these guys that says whenever you translate or you define this word, say this. Right. The other thing that I notice here is that it's 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 really a very unchurchly definition. Right. So it. it it goes to a secular or a purported secular definition. It doesn't allow the scriptures to define what it is. But wouldn't you say it's also beginning with the end in mind in that we're going to get to immersion, Dunking, immersion yeah. as being the only thing you can ever do. And so we're just doing exactly what the word means, right? And so sprinkling and pouring and whatever else, that doesn't work because we... We're more biblical. Right. I'm reading this interesting article about Reformed hermeneutics versus Lutheran hermeneutics. And this is actually, this guy is pointing out, this is actually characteristic of both Reformed fundamentalism and Reformed modernism, that they're, that somehow or other, the te- there, there's a text behind the text. Isn't this what this guy is doing? We're not going to let the text itself, in other words, the only, the Lutheran, re, Lutheran realism says the only way we can access what baptizdo means is by reading it in the scriptures themselves and observing what happens in the scriptures themselves. That's the only way we can access it. But the Reformed idea is that there's there's somehow there, there there's like a G, there's a Jesus and there's a baptism and there's a a cross and there's an empty tomb somehow accessible behind the words of scripture and Lutherans just don't operate that way the only way that we have the cross Christ baptism the supper whatever it is is through the words of scripture well you just said it the word of scripture in the American evangelical thinking, the water is more important than the word of Scripture. This is why we have lots and lots of water, and you got to get all down in that water. And there's nothing wrong with getting all down in the water. The problem is, is when you divorce the water from the word of God. Right. People don't understand that God himself has chosen this way has mandated this way of connecting his word to physical things. And when it comes to baptism, it's water. But it doesn't matter how much water. Right. What matters is the word of God connected with the water. And so the emphasis is always on big tanks and lots of water and get down in here and get completely submerged. Now, 
Here is the great news. Even though these guys have got it bass backwards, God still does the baptizing. Correct. When the baptism is done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, yep, it's still a valid baptism. Praise be to God yep. that even in somebody's blind ignorance, because they've been taught by blind guides, the Holy Spirit is still at work. The Word is still attached to the water. The baptism still is efficacious to forgive sins and to give the Holy Spirit and to mark you off as one who is now redeemed. Right. I mean, praise be to God. Mm-hmm. That's maybe the wonderful thing about the way the Lord has set this stuff up, is that even though dummies don't know what I'm doing in it, I'm still going to do it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. In other words, when you are baptized, you are immersed or submerged. Now, I'm going to do my best to try to communicate this uh, as clearly as possible. Um, When we're talking about someone being baptized, it means that that person is being immersed or submerged into something. And I have have two points for you today, and then some sub-points underneath the second one to help us better understand this. But I want to make it clear that before we jump into this, I don't have all the answers. (laughs) So you need to read the Bible. And you need to ask the Holy Spirit, who we've been talking about for the last five weeks, Holy Spirit, what does this say? What does this mean? What does this, listen, if you're looking to me like Pastor Gabe, explain it to me. Give me all the answers. Give me all the knowledge that I need. I don't have all the knowledge that you need, but he does. Whoa, that caught my attention big time when he said that. So there are limits to our knowledge. You and I would both admit this. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. But God has revealed his word so that we might have certainty and knowledge about the things that are necessary for salvation. And to say that, you know, like, I, I mean, there might be some, we don't know why God chose water. That's just purely, if, if we came up with a reason, it would be purely speculative. But we don't need to know. But to know the things about baptism, what God accomplishes through baptism, what it is, uh, I mean, he hasn't left us blind about that. And, you know, this other thing, if he would read on a little bit further, and if he had been following the lectionary, um, you know, in, in John uh, 16, 13, it says, When that one comes, the spirit of truth, he shall lead you in all truth, for he will not speak from himself, but whatsoever things he will hear, he will speak, even the coming things he will declare to you. So the point is, um, and Jesus is, by the way, saying this to the 11 at this point in time. He's speaking to his ministers, his pastors. And that's the promise, is that the Holy Spirit makes these things accessible. But the problem is, he doesn't know how, does he? It's through the revealed word. As I heard that the first time, and then the second time, and then the third time when I listened to it, I thought, man, that it, he's already said... I don't have all the answers. He said, yeah, but he's also said, you guys are confused about this. Right. <laughs> right. You're and confused. I, I'm going to come I'm and bring some clarity, but I'm confused. <laughs> and what I want you to do, though, is go home and read your Bible and ask the Holy Spirit. He's asking them to become enthusiasts. Right. To look within their heart to determine what baptism truly is. This is the devil's playground right here. It is totally. And again, it turns them into enthusiasts 
But secondly, it makes them all like those blind people touching the elephant. Now anybody can say whatever they want. And guess what? They are right. Because now the Holy Spirit has told them. Even though at the beginning he believes the Holy Spirit told him to bring this stuff to them. Right. I mean... Yeah, this is a that's good. This is a mess. You know, if if you were just to follow the logic of this right, speech, right, you you would have to say, "Honey, um, you know, grab your purse. Right, and I'll, right. I'll, I'll grab Junior. We're gonna leave." <laughs> Why would you put yourself under this type of teaching? So, I think that's a very a very good question, and I think that there is a. Do you think that there is a? A faked humility here, or a, maybe it's a real humility, and people love that. You know, past Pastor Gary, he's just he's just one of one of us, and you know, he's just doing his best to f- figure out what God's. I can connect with him. I don't know. Is that what it is? I don't know because they the, the, obviously people are flocking to this kind of thing. I found it interesting when I first heard him because. He really comes to the table. He doesn't bring a lot of schlock, a lot of stories, and a lot of stuff that we've heard before. He really does stick to his points and to his outline. Uh, we haven't let him get into it yet, really, but 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 he does, and uh, that's why I thought it would be something worthwhile critiquing. Yeah. And I have to say, he's going to get into it in a little bit. In the world of the American evangelical, if we put him on like a like a like a gauge, spectrum, yeah, yeah or mm-hmm. yeah, like a spe- on a spectrum of sorts, man, he is coming close to what is true. Well, we'll have to send him an email with this with this recording. I think so too, yeah. because I do not think, and he'll say it a little bit later on. It's like it does not take much for him to just make the leap to actually understanding truly what baptism is. He is closer than most, but he's still standing on the opposite side of the river. He has not swam the Rhine as of yet, or the Alba, as you would say. So it makes you wonder what he's reading. And and so I... Well, he did start out saying reading and listening, you know? So if you know if you were to read something, uh, and I'm trying to think about what the American evangelical would be open to reading, so there's that InterVarsity Press commentary on the ancient church fathers' commentary on the scriptures. That might get him moving in the right direction. There's that uh, InterVarsity Press um, uh, Reformation commentary on the scriptures that would have kind of Luther and Calvin and you know Beza and uh, Pomeranus and other people. Uh, so I, I wonder if, if if that would that I I just don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of what could we give this guy? What could we help? What could we point him to that would be helpful? Well, I mean there's a lot of books that that were extremely helpful to me when I was going through the exact same conversion, but I have to tell you, one of the ones that were uh, rumble strips for me <laughs> as you were talking about earlier, uh, uh, off mic. It is a a document, a PDF document, that Chris Rosebro put together called What the Earliest Christians Said About Baptism. Oh, that'd be helpful. That'd be really helpful. So then he just takes about 10 Sede Stocktrini and three or four guys to say what those verses actually meant. Mm Mm-hmm. And how they viewed it, and that's that's extremely helpful. And there's there is a respect in 
uh, again, in this article that I'm reading, a respect in Lutheranism for the ancient teaching of the church that is not uh, represented in uh, reformed branches of Christianity. And certainly, I mean, that becomes even more, um, that respect drops even more in American evangelicalism. Because I'm just trying to think of what allows a person to wade into the, like stick his toe in the Elbe. You know, maybe he's sticking it in the Elbe and the, uh, and the Danube at the same time, which would be really hard, but. Here it is, I found it. What the Bible teaches about baptism and how the earliest Christians understood these biblical texts by Chris Rosebro. Sounds great. It's and a that's PDF. available online? Yep. Yep. Okay. That's all he needs. Good. And guess what? The Holy Spirit is attached to those scriptures. And as these holy men of God, as they expound them, he really is just taking excerpts from their sermons, the Holy Spirit begins to work through these things. Right. It's quite amazing. Yes, and that's a surefire, you know, you talk about coming to a point where you can confess or formulate properly. The only way to get there is to do it through the Spirit-inspired text. And so I'm here today to tell you what I believe he told me to tell you, what I believe he showed me through some, through some verses and through the Word, and I want to encourage you, study. Study it. Read it for yourself. Go back and ask the Holy Spirit, what does this mean for me? What do I need to do with this information or with this scripture or with this text? Amen? It's important that you do that. Don't just, don't just always take my word for it. <laughs> Go back and look it up and study it on your own. God may want to speak something even more in-depth to you than what was even talked about on a Sunday. Well, that's good. He's he's encouraging a Berean attitude uh, among his listeners to search the scriptures to see whether these things be so. That's a that's a fantastic thing, and it is true that um, you know, uh, look in a twenty minute sermon or however long this thing is going to end up being, uh, you can't cover the waterfront. There are entire books written about baptism, fat books, and so. Um, and I like the way he put it. He didn't say, hopefully you'll come to a different conclusion. He said, maybe you'll deepen your understanding. And that's exactly what happens when we meditate on God's word. He may want to take it farther and deeper into your heart. And so it's important that you know that. But I want to talk to you about two different points. Here's the first point as we're talking about baptism. is that baptism consists of three things. And things is probably not the right word but it's the only word that I could come up with to put in this point. Does that make sense? Things is probably not the right term, but baptism consists for the sake of what we're talking about today, three things. In every baptism, there are three things present. There is a person doing the baptizing. There is a person being baptized. And there is an element. Element may not be the correct, you know, exactly the correct term either, but there is something that that person is being baptized into. Are you with me? There are three, in every baptism, there are three, there is somebody doing the baptizing, there is somebody being baptized, and there is an element, or as we're going to see in a minute, a person that they are being baptized into. There is something they're being baptized into, and I want us to look at Jesus' baptism. So before he goes on to Jesus' baptism, I really had no problem with what he's laying out here. There were some very 
good things moving down the road. So the I think the first thing to say is that uh, distinguishing the the one getting baptized from the baptizer is very important. So he's he's creating up a creating a an active passive thing here. Uh, the the person getting baptized is passive, and I hope he can go down the road with that. That'd be wonderful. He even used a classic Western term, Western Catholic, small c Catholic term for water. He called it an element. And this goes, you know, it may date to earlier than um, St. Augustine, but uh, he's got that rule, um, acedat verbum ad elementum et fit sacramentum. Uh, just let the word come to the element and it becomes a sacrament. So this terminology is really in the pale of Western Catholic thinking, of which Lutherans are heirs. Right. He's got his toe right here in the elbow. He, he does. He does. It's fascinating, isn't it? The one thing that he didn't come to that I... But he's going to pull it out. I'm going to tell you now. Okay. He's going to pull it back out. Well, don't, yeah, the, don't... The water's too cold. Don't disappoint me. <laughs> it is northern Germany, after all. The, um, you know, a Lutheran would have begun in a slightly different place. He wouldn't have talked about the baptizer and the baptizand. Uh, he would have talked about the element and the command of God and the promise of God attached to the water. So he would have said three things too. But uh, with much more weight, interestingly, on the divine side of it than on the human side of it. When he was water baptized, as an example to kind of to, to show you this, just in a few verses, this is what it says in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one, how many of you know if Jesus came up to you and said, Hey, will you baptize me? You'd be like, Listen, <laughs> I think we've got it backward. And that's John's response. I don't know that this is the right way. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. All that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now, when we read about Jesus being water baptized, we see three things present, right? And it's all really, you can see it all in verse 13. There's John who's doing the baptizing, right? Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John is doing the baptizing. Jesus is being baptized. And the Jordan River, the water, is the element that he's being baptized into. Are you with me so far? And so it's important that you know that there are three things, because we're going to dive into this a little bit more here in just a moment as we talk about point number two. Three things that uh, each baptism consists of. So lots to say about what we've just heard. I'm, I'm surprised at how small point number one is. Uh, it, it seems trifling, and we had already talked about how a Lutheran would talk about this differently, that uh, emphasizing the divine side rather than the human side. Um, and uh, connecting the water to, to God's word, both of command and promise. So that's number one. Number two, his, this translation, I really don't, I really don't like, and I think it's going to um, get off in the wrong direction. I'm not sure what translation is being used here, uh, but Jesus uh, says that it's necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness, not everything that God commands, but all righteousness. Now, if you've got this kind of notion, I guess, that it, that is pretty rampant in American evangelicalism, that baptism is my, as the baptizand, my 
action expressing my uh, devotion, jo- choice, my joining, decision. Yeah, God's team. You can see how that translation would be very helpful. It's an incorrect translation. Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. What is the righteousness that Jesus is fulfilling? He's fulfilling God's faithfulness to his promise to save people. Why does Jesus get baptized? Because through it, he imbues the water with his own sanctity and holiness and righteousness so that it becomes ours when we're baptized. But this point is just getting completely missed because of the translation. It escapes me right now, but I do believe he says what what translation he is reading from a little bit later on. And so here's point number two. Point number one, baptism consists of three things. Point number two, where we're going to spend the majority of our time and allow you an opportunity to respond today, is that there are three different baptisms. Honey, I'll see you in the car. <laughs> we this can be... where you've got that remote starter. <laughs> right, 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 right. If it's cold outside, the yeah. car's already been turned yeah. on, uh, the heat is on. We are going to beat everybody to the Cracker Barrel uh, because we are not coming back here. <laughs> Three baptisms, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, he, okay. <laughs> we cut out some stuff in our little conversation that I think would be worth worth just talking about real quick. We were disappointed in how short he had made section one mm-hmm. um, and talking about all the different you know things that he's mentioned. So let's just talk about why the baptizer is, is important, right? Why is he even there? Well, Matthew chapter 28, he's got the command to do it. What motivates him? Well, Mark 16, because he who believes and is baptized will be saved. So that's a wonderful thing. Why is the baptizand there? Well, Titus chapter 3, because through this, God pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. Why the use of water? Well, you know, the actual answer is the water doesn't matter that much. The, the water is just water. It's the word of God that's connected with the water that makes the baptism the baptism. So he could have done, he could have really, really dug in here and done some good things. I guess this is my, this is a bad thing. It's critiquing the essay that wasn't written. But when you're talking about baptism, it strikes me that this is the essay that needs to be written and he's just not getting there. But three baptisms? Did you see Jesus get baptized thrice? No. No, I didn't either. Does the Nicene Creed reference three baptisms? It's one, I think it says one. Wait, what is that? One baptism for I the remission of sins? I believe in one baptism. For the remission of sins. Hmm. And one baptism. Yep. Mm-hmm. How about that? Oh, so, so this one statement, okay, it not only throws off Scripture itself, but it also throws off, you know, what we spoke of earlier about the the breadth and the length and the depth, really, of the church universal in that this is what the church has declared, not in and of themselves and not apart from Scripture, but this is what the Scripture says. Right. In Ephesians chapter 4, one baptism, one spirit, right? Well, yeah. yeah, one faith, one Lord, one mm-hmm. baptism. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. why, do, why do we have to make cray-cray statements like this? But again, see, well, see, I might be wrong because the Holy Spirit told has, him. 
apart from the scriptures. Told him to say these things. Yep. So this is this is diving into the truth, right? The, what we said earlier, diving into the truth behind the scriptures. That the, somehow the scriptures obscure; they don't reveal the truth; they obscure the truth. And there's a truth that you can get to behind them if you dig and scratch hard enough, which is really it's a demonic thing. Um, this is what the devil always wants us to do, depart from God's clear words and come up with our own. You know, it's interesting how you just walked us through a few moments ago. You walked us through all of the explanation and verses that come in the small catechism because baptism is one of the six chief parts. I mean, this is this is what we teach our children. This is what we teach our congregation. This is what we are constantly putting in our own head and believing. This is why the catechism includes something this important mm-hmm. and not something that's uh, tertiary. It is that important. Yeah. Whereas, uh, hopefully, we'll get together soon and uh, do this again with another sermon that I heard on baptism. And the pastor at the very beginning says... We've never talked about baptism before. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) How can you... Not talk about baptism. How can you be in the Christian church as a pastor and have never talked about baptism? And I assume what he means by that is that we've never... Clearly, they've had baptisms, but they've never taken the entire sermon slot to talk about it. To delve into it, yeah. And we don't either, in all fairness. I don't think that there's... But uh, there well, is no, a we mention do, we, the, the of The baptism it. of our Lord, we, we do. Um, right, but, in Epiphany. But there's a mention of it all the time. This is in, one of the things sermons, that right. blew me away when I started listening to Lutheran sermons, thinking, man, every sermon, somehow or another it gets back to baptism and the sacrament of the altar Mm -hmm. well now i understand now i know because these are the ways that god interacts wishes and does interact with sinners well i think you said it earlier it's the way god comes to you right yep however the way that the american evangelical has been catechized is you got to get yourself to god right you work yourself up into a devotional mood or whatever it is and then the holy spirit starts talking to you yep So when we think of the word baptism, we think of water baptism most of the time. We think about how we do it here where we have this, uh, this, this, you know, tub or trough or whatever you want to call it. And we fill it up with water and we baptize people. And that is correct. But there are three different types of baptisms, three different baptisms. As you read through the Bible, you see all three of these. And it's important for us uh, to understand these. And so I want to try to explain them. Here's the first type of baptism. It's the baptism into the body. Now, we would probably be more familiar with the term salvation. When you get saved, when you give your life to Jesus, this is the baptism into the body of Christ, into the the capital C church. It's important for you to know that if if you have never received salvation, technically, you're not a part of the church. Because you have not been baptized into the body. Are you following me? And some of y'all are like, well, I'm offended at that. I come to this church all the time. Listen, this church is not the end all. 
There's a capital C church. It's the body of Christ. And when you get saved, you are baptized into the body. Not just this body, but the body. The body that is talked about throughout Scripture. And Paul writes about it. And there's different parts and different gifts and different things that that God gives us as a part of the body. And when you're saved, there's a baptism that happens. And all three things we mentioned earlier are present. The person doing the baptizing is the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the person doing the baptizing is the Holy Spirit. The person being baptized is you. And the element, which is probably not the right word, but the element you are being baptized into is the body of Christ. You are being baptized by the Holy Spirit into Jesus' body, into the body of Christ, into the church. Hmm, Pastor Bruss, you, you seem to be in pain. I am in pain. Um, he's just a part. Uh, I mean, this would definitely we'd we'd already be in the parking lot now, hun. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm ordering food at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> he's just said that there are three things that make a baptism: the person baptizing, which canonically is a human agent. You know, the person performing the baptism. Sure. The baptizand, which is canonically a sinner. And an element, which is canonically water. He has cited no scripture for this whatsoever. Now, we don't, we would never deny that somebody can be brought to faith by God's word, the Holy Spirit working through God's word. Never deny it. Uh, this, we see this frequently. Uh, the Holy Spirit working through God's word, um, creating faith in the heart of somebody who had no faith before. Great. It's not a baptism. Where does scripture ever call that a baptism, Pastor Kearns? I don't know of a scripture. But I do know this. Salvation precedes baptism for this type of thinking. That's the schema. So you've got to follow the schema. It must always is what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What he's calling salvation is a baptism. It's your decision. Into the body. Your decision for Christ. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But this is not in Scripture. All I can think of is things like, you know, as many of you as were baptized have been baptized into Christ. Okay. And you might be able to potentially stretch stretch that term Christ to mean the mystical body of Christ the church yeah i i don't i don't i don't get i don't, I don't get how he how, how you can do that you are now a part of the capital C church you are now a part of the body and when you're saved you are immersed or submerged into the body of Christ you are fully baptized into the body of Christ when you get saved. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes it this way. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. 
But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. One body, one Holy Spirit doing the baptizing. He baptizes you at the moment of salvation into the body of Christ. And Paul is writing to explain that even though we may be different in many ways, when we receive salvation by grace through faith in Jesus, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, and we are all part of the same body. So there you go. Good. So at least we've got a text to talk about. Right. Right. Which is very helpful for us. So he's talking about what he's doing is he's he is he is separating the fruits of baptism or identifying the different fruits of baptism and saying they must go. They must because you have different fruits, they must go back to different baptisms uh, without recognizing that one and the same baptism gives many fruits. This would be to deny First uh, Corinthians chapter 1 and such too, where we have people getting baptized. And there Paul is not talking about baptism, just coming to faith. He's talking about baptism, baptism, water baptism. And so one of the things that happens when you get baptized is you get, yeah, you get baptized into Christ and the body of Christ includes all the baptized. So you become a member of the body of Christ. Which again points back to the fact that we believe in one baptism. Right. So instead of there being three different baptisms, what he's talking about is a result of the one baptism. Right. Doesn't need to be parsed out like this. No. And think about that. The, the many things that come along with the one baptism. It says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Well, saved from what? From death, eternal death, sins. The uh, devil. The devil. I mean, all this sort of stuff. So could you say that there is a baptism of salvation from the devil? That's one baptism. And a baptism of salvation from your sins. Right. That's another. Right. I mean, this is basically right. kind of what he's doing. Right. Uh, you receive the Holy Spirit in baptism. So is there a baptism of, you know, of the Holy Spirit? You, you, get, you get water poured over your head in baptism. Is there a baptism of, the, of water? This is how he's kind of slicing and dicing this thing. Or at least how he's read it and now how he's presenting it. Correct. What he's saying reminds me of just church architecture. That is completely lost in most American evangelical modern structures. You know, you think about how the ceiling in the nave area of our church, like it looks like a boat with with timbers uh, and just the word nave. I mean, the people are sitting in, in the ark. They have been rescued. How? Through water. And, you know, the the font itself has eight sides around it. Who is that supposed to represent? Oh, the, you know, um, Noah and his family. And then on to that, to the eighth day. I mean, it is mind-blowing how the architecture and the furniture of, of an Orthodox church is constantly preaching. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And what it does is it uh, graphically unifies, um, graphically and architecturally unifies all of the teaching of Scripture, 
anybody who's listened to Lutheran preaching and sat in a Lutheran church would come to 1 Corinthians 12 and say, wow, there's a, holy cow, there is a, that's a different kind of baptism. Right. That's a baptism before the baptism. Right. Who knew? Yeah. Or, or, or that, or that any church father would have read it that way. So this would be where the Roseboro um, document would be very helpful. We are all a part of the same body. So if you are a believer, if you have been saved, if you have given your life to Jesus, you have received salvation, you have put your faith in Jesus, you were baptized into the body. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 24. He says, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ. One in Christ. You are baptized into the body of Christ at salvation. You don't mind that, Pastor Ross? I mean, he's cross-referenced it with the scriptures there. This is a very strange hermeneutic where you invest. I mean, he went to the one of the clearest passages you possibly can early on with the baptism of Jesus, where you had John, Jesus, and the water of the Jordan River. Um, the dirty water of the Jordan River. No less, right? So that so you've you've got you've got baptism sort of graphically defined there, don't you? And now he is importing a, a different meaning into what baptism is. Just because, presumably in this Galatians 3 thing, because faith is associated with it. Well, I mean, in the evangelical mind, baptism is an act, right? We're saved only by faith, not by works of the law. So if I'm doing, when I get baptized, I'm doing the doing, I can't be saved that way, possibly, because I'm not seeing that God is doing the doing through the water baptism. Anyhow, this, yeah, this is convoluted. Well, when he gets to his second point, I think this is where you and I are going to rejoice. Oh, good. Okay, because he's finally going to get to the, the one true, real baptism. As we have said, there is, there's no being baptized into the body separately from what happens at the font with God's Word attached to water. Correct. Here's the second type of baptism. It's the one that we're most familiar with, the term water baptism. This is the one that you have seen, you know, take place, or you may have gone to, you know, your nephew was getting baptized, and so you, you know, went to church there to see them be baptized, or you saw your kid be baptized, or you were baptized in water. It's water baptized water baptism and when you're baptized in water obviously there are three things that we mentioned earlier that are present there's the person doing the baptizing which is your pastor or another person doesn't necessarily have to be me but there's the person that is doing the baptizing the person being baptized is you and the element you're being baptized into is water are you seeing the pattern there's a person doing the baptizing there's a person being baptized, and there's an element that's being that you're being baptized into. In other words, you are being immersed or submerged into the water. You are going completely into the water. That's that's what it means to be baptized. No, it doesn't. Right. 
It's not it's not submersion. And again, he's missing he is missing the the New Testament theological definition of the term baptize. Let the New Testament speak for itself. Yes, it's baptism with water simultaneously with baptism into the body of Christ, simultaneously with baptism into the faith, simultaneously with baptism into salvation. I mean, all of these things come along with baptism. And, and um, I mean, is this just going to be baptizing into water? Is that, is that it? No. Okay. He's going to, this is where he's going to fill, he's going to get some theology. Yeah, this is where what he's getting ready to say is going to move, uh, move that needle on the gauge over to truth. Good, but he's not going to stay there long. Okay. John chapter one. I want to read a few verses on this one to help us uh, hopefully better understand this. John chapter one, verses thirty-two and thirty-three says, "Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him." I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John said, God sent me to baptize with water. The reason I came, God sent me to make a way, prepare a way for Jesus to baptize in water. Water baptism. John himself tells us that's what God sent him to do, baptize with water. Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. They became believers, and they were baptized. They received Jesus, they believed in Jesus, and then they were baptized. Matthew 28, 19, we're familiar with this as the Great Commission. We're we're told, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' commission is to make disciples and baptize those disciples. Go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Colossians chapter 2, and I want to spend a couple of minutes here. Verses 11 and 12. Okay, before he moves on there... uh, we're grateful that he's using these proof texts. This is great. And these are wonderful passages. What did you say the problem was with that, that last one there with the Great Commission? So, the, so with the Great Commission, he, the way that he read it was go and make disciples and baptize. Well, it's got to fit with the first schema, right? The first schema he just said, they, they believed in Jesus. I mean, he made a big point of that. Yep. He said that three times, and then they were baptized. And then he came to the text that you're talking about, and what did he say? He said, make disciples and baptize them. So, so after. After, yep, yep. So Matt, he's got Matthew 28 wrong. Um, there it is. Um, let's just use the term make disciples. That's a bad translation, but make disciples. And then we have two participles, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Those are in Greek what are known as circumstantial participles. And they describe the way in which the action of the main verb is accomplished. So the making of disciples, how is it done? By baptizing and by teaching. And so that first one there, that baptism, which only, you know, uh, only takes a moment in time, so to speak, 
is what brings you into the church. It's what saves you. It's what, you know, everything that we've said before forgives you of all of your sin, gives you life and salvation and all of this. And and he avoided some interesting ones in Acts, didn't he? Um, oh, sure. For, so for the, the example, the, the Philippian jailer, where he is brought to faith through the word of the apostles. Well, and they're the ones singing the hymns, and there's no doubt that God's word was, you know, interlaced into those hymns that they're singing. He's hearing them so much so that as soon as the earthquake comes and he realizes the prisoners have not left, what must I do to be saved? Right. So he there he comes to faith prior to being baptized. There's no question about this pattern in the Acts of the Apostles. But his whole household is baptized when he is baptized, uh, which would include all sorts of people. Uh, even little ones? Even little ones. What? Even little ones, yeah. Uh, and then you think about the analogy. It'll be interesting to find out what he does with Colossians. Um, uh, but the you know baptism is analogous to circumcision in the Old Testament, and the New Testament makes that connection. Um the pattern in the Old Testament is not first coming to faith and then getting circumcised. You know, like a, an obvious confession or of faith or something like that as an adult. It is circumcise them at eight days. And salvation belongs to them only, right? They, they're only in the covenant after the circumcision. Anyone who is not circumcised in a Hebrew household is out of the covenant. But at eight days, Pastor Bruss, they can't make a decision. They can't. No, absolutely not. Such is God's grace. You know, it's interesting. We've, we're going through uh, Exodus right now in our uh, classes that we teach on Sundays. And uh, we're getting ready to hit upon Moses being very reluctant about circumcising his son and his wife Zipporah gets she gets angry. Yeah, she does because she thinks she finds this repulsive. Mm-hmm. I mean, her father, who is the priest of Midian, most likely is not, uh, you know, it's probably a pagan priest. Uh, Zipporah, she finds this practice completely disgusting. But God is, in some way, He is getting ready to kill Moses because Moses will not do what God has prescribed. So much so that Zipporah does it. I just find it interesting that a lot of people today still act like Zipporah when it comes to what God actually does in baptism. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just as, like, disgusted by this. Right, right, yeah, yeah. He couldn't possibly make them children of the covenant, yeah. Mm -hmm. I wanted to circle back to what we were talking about with the Great Commission. Even though the baptism happens in a moment of time, it's that teaching that lasts for the rest of the person's life. Correct. Correct. And this is how you make a disciple. Correct. And so a disciple can be a 90-year-old woman who was baptized when she was a baby, and she has been walking in the ways of the Lord all the days of her life continuing to be made a disciple. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Paul says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from 
the dead. If you read the Old Testament, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll see, you know, God gives this command and he says, hey, listen, here's what you need to do. You need to have everybody that is a part of the tribe, everybody that's a part of the camp, come on, it's going to be graphic for a minute, but you need to have them circumcised. There are instances where individuals are that like, here's the order, everybody needs to be circumcised. Why did they need to be circumcised? It was a sign. It was an outward cutting away, a separation to show these people belong to me. These people belong to me. Well, why did, can you imagine back in the day, right? Come on, men. Can you imagine back in the day? If you're like getting this news about, it's like, oh, Moses, you know, I just like, oh, this is great. You know, oh, you need to be circumcised. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, let me explain to you <laughs> what that means, right? How many of you are like, well, I believe in the church right there. You know, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if I'm that committed. It was this cutting away that showed on the outside that I belong to God. I have, I have, like everything has been stripped away so that I, people will know I belong to God. It is this, it is this symbol. And what's interesting to me in Colossians 2 is that we just read this in verses 11 and 12 that Paul connects the purpose really of Old Testament circumcision with the purpose of New Testament Water baptism. This is pretty good. Yes, it is. Pr it is pretty good. I mean, how many people do we hear who who make this connection? Who who see that circumcision has been eclipsed by baptism? Correct. What he didn't say though is that I mean, he said everybody be circumcised, right? It was only it was only boys, obviously. Right, it was only boys, it was only men. On, on very few occasions was it men. In most instances, it was eight days after a baby was born. And this is, this is the fact that he's leaving out. Um, it, it's not a bunch of Hebrews who have made a decision for the Lord in the wilderness. It is baby Jewish boys with the blood of Abraham flowing through their veins and of the slaves of the Hebrews foreign slaves of the Hebrews who receive this circumcision and are made, because of the circumcision, made heirs of the promise of Abraham. I'm glad you said that because Genesis 3.15 promises that there's going to come a Messiah through procreation. Now, this is going to be unlike anything else as far as procreation is concerned. It's not going to be a natural father and a natural mother. But we get that, I mean, for crying out loud, we're only in the first three chapters of Genesis. We get that as we keep on reading, right? I find it very interesting that God has this sign upon the reproductive unit of, of a male. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like they stuck a... A know, ring in their nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. yep. or, or, you know, some mm -hmm. gauge in the ear to elongate the, uh, the fatty portion of the ear. Yeah, I'm not sure what I make of that. I mean, I think it has something to do with the seed. That's all I'm saying. But it's and it's not coming from the man. No, it's not. Yeah. Yep. But it is a reminder that there is a man in this day who carries the seed of the Messiah. Whether that's a David, whether that's an Abraham, whether that's an Isaac, whether it's oh, a Jacob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. 
I mean, didn't you say the yeah. other day something about, which I found fascinating, and I had never thought of this, when Moses goes out and he kills that Egyptian for, uh, for showing injustice to the, uh, to the Hebrew. Anybody can look at that text and think, oh, he didn't, he didn't like uh, you know, this group beating up that group. Your point was what? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. That, that this is a carrier, a potential carrier of the promised seed. Right. Yeah. Because his parents were Levites, that, that being uh, Moses's. He, he was schooled in not just Egyptian wisdom, but also in the promise. Yeah, and he lived according to the promise. Can I just talk about the words of institution for circumcision very briefly? Yes. Um, this is an exodus, just so that everybody is aware of what uh, we're talking about. This is Genesis chapter 17. This is what God commands. Um, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So the people of Abraham are those who are heirs of the promise. But what's interesting is that it's not based upon the blood flowing through their veins. It's based upon their circumcision. This is what brings them into the covenant. He's not going to call baptism a sacrament at all, but this was their sacrament. You just read the verba. You just read the words. Correct. So he's got an order of salvation figured out. Uh, It's first of all, making a decision for Christ, then getting baptized. And this is the necessary order. It must always go in this direction. Um, This uh, we read simply to show that that's not the case. And to elaborate a little bit more on this, this clearly was just for little Jewish boys. Baptism, though, baptism now is for everyone. As Paul makes very clear in Galatians 3, Jew, Greek, slave-free, male, female. Right. Yeah. Everybody can get in on what God wants to do and what he wants to give. Indeed. So in other words, let me say it like this. For you to give your life to Jesus and not be baptized in water is like the equivalent of in the Old Testament, well, I belong to God, but I'm not willing to do that. Well, I want to be associated with God, but I'm not willing to have that done. Now, thank God water baptism is not, you know, as painful, (laughs) I'm sure, as what they had to do in the Old Testament. But it is the quip. Paul says, you, like, okay, in the Old Testament, they were set apart in this way. They were known in this way. But whenever you gave your life to Jesus and you were baptized, it was this outward expression of this cutting away. In other words, your old sinful nature goes into the water and you come out new. Right. And that's called salvation. Exactly. Why, why do we yeah. why do we have to have yeah. salvation taking place before we get baptized? Correct. 
he just he just said exactly what's happening. Yep. It goes into the water and you come out new. The old has been stripped away. It's cut away. There is a spiritual circumcision that has happened whenever you were water baptized. And for you to not be water baptized as a believer is to say just as they would have in the Old Testament, well, I'm not willing to do that. I want to be associated with God. I want everything that he has for me, but I'm not willing to do that. I don't like being in front of people. I don't like, you know, I'm going to be wet and I don't know about all this stuff. And it's like we're worried about the wrong thing. You know what we're worried about when we're worried about those things? Me. I don't want to be in front of, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get wet. I don't want my hair to be messed up. I don't want people to see me that. I don't. It's all about you. Okay, so I'm now, I'm starting to get a little upset here. He's saying, you, the people, you don't want to do baptism because you think it's all about you. But theologically, that's what that's what they're teaching. It is all about you. It's it's telling everybody else the decision that you made in your heart for Jesus. I mean, my, do you see that? The, I do. That's the, wonderful. The, this is the fruit of the bad teaching. And frankly, if you are one of these people, and you you've got your first baptism already, right? Why then would you? Why? Yeah. Right. It's just a it's just a, a burdensome command. Now, interestingly, he's packing it with grace, which is what he doesn't realize he's doing it. He's making his appeal partially, not all, but partially on what God does in water baptism. If he continued in that vein, this is what God does. He saves you. He drown we would say drowns your old Adam, but but we would also echo what he said here, something about, you know, uh, you come forth new. Right. This this is this is rebirth. This is it. And so if he continued in that vein, which is orthodox, then people would flock to be baptized. Right. He wouldn't have the same problem he's got. And and Paul's saying, listen, this is this is an important thing. This is a vital thing. You can read through the New Testament, it's like, wow, they believed on Jesus and they were baptized. They believe they put their faith in Jesus and they were baptized. They like there has to be this really important significance in water baptism. And I know a lot of times we just say, well, it's an outward expression of an inward change, and it is, but I think there's something more to it than that. Now that right there, when I first heard that, I thought, okay, now now he's he's getting somewhere. He has moved into Orthodox thinking. Yep. Which is wonderful. This is him sticking his toe. We better explain what that is real quick. The Elbe is the river that runs through Wittenberg. So he... he, And and for for people to know, like when they convert to... When they convert to, say, Anglicanism, it's called uh, swimming the Thames. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they uh, convert to uh, Greek Orthodoxy, it's called swimming the, the Bosporus. Bosporus. Yep. Uh, so this is what we're talking about with this swim the Rhine slash swim the Alba. He is sticking his toe in. He is he. It's the old game you used to play with your kids. He's getting warmer. Right. He's getting warmer. <laughs> right, right, right. He's driven there by desperation, though. And maybe that's a good thing. Uh, this is like a practical egg-on-your-face desperation, it seems to me. He's trying to get people to, obviously, people have 
said yes to Jesus, and now they're they're like, eh, I'm not so sure I want to get baptized. That might be the case, but I'm still holding out that that the Scriptures, when he said, I mean, uh, as you read through the New Testament, I mean, Paul says this is important. Yes, yes. Right, right. And it's not merely an outward sign of an inward Right. If he said that disposition. Right, which all the other Yahoos say that, he says it's not did he say just that? Yeah, he said it's more than that. It's more yeah. than that. Mm-hmm. And he's right. Yes. Yep. And this is why, you know, I want to stop and applaud him here. Yay. <laughs> okay, there you go. But as I said earlier, he's got his toe in there. Uh, but he's gonna he's gonna jerk it out. And I can't stand up here and really articulate to you in words why I have begun to feel this way. But it's an important thing. It's an important thing. Whenever you have believed in Jesus, you need to be water baptized. Because it is there is something that happens when you go into the water and your old nature dies. And you come out new. dies and and I think that some of us have even been water baptized in the past maybe when you were a kid or whatever and you're like I don't even really I didn't really understand what that was but my parents wanted me to get baptized and it was like this important thing to get baptized and so we got baptized I'm not saying that you need to be rebaptized how many times do you hear that that's great hooray that's that's excellent uh, he's maybe up to his knees at this point. Oh, you think he's gone in that far? I think he's he's waiting in. in. Yeah. Yep. Well, I mean, at this point, he is acknowledging what we said earlier from the Nicene Creed. I believe in one baptism. One baptism. I don't need to be rebaptized. Listen, go back to your circumcision thing. When a little boy starts going potty, right, and kind of realizing that he's got he's got He's got a unit down there. There is no doubt that at some point he had to learn what circumcision was, that this was something that was done to him when he was a child. He does not remember it. He's not going to be circumcised again when he realizes what it means. (laughs) That would be really rough. That would be terrible. That would be terrible. But the point is, is that he's right. You don't have to be rebaptized. You shouldn't be rebaptized even. Because God gave you the gifts the first time. Regardless of the fact that you didn't know you got the gifts, you got them. Yes. But wouldn't it be wouldn't it be so cool to understand the significance of being baptized in the water that your old nature dies and is buried in the water and you come out new? You come out with a new nature, you come out with 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 renewal on the inside of you. It's important. It's important. Just as Jesus died and rose again, water baptism serves as a symbol of dying to your old self and beginning a new life. Oh, see, this is where I said, you know, he gets out of the water real quick. Did you hear it? He did. Yep. Yep. So it became a symbol quickly. Oh, yep. just can't, can't shake it. Once a symbol, always a symbol, I guess. I don't know. It just cannot get away from that. Was circumcision, pastor, a symbol? No. (laughs) With a real knife and real blood and a little baby crying and a priest doing it. Was that was that a symbol? No, and it really made them part of the people of the promise. It marked them. Yep. Literally. Yep. Well, so does water baptism. It marks you. Literally. Literally. Yeah. It makes you what it promises.
And so there's the baptism into the body, there's water baptism, and then here's the third type of baptism that I want to talk about today. And I know I'm going through this really, really fast, but I want to give us an opportunity to worship here at the end and to respond to whatever it is the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. There we go again, the spirit divorced from the word. Right. Yep. And he's kind of, you know, listen, I know I've been doing a lot of Bible here, but man, we want to make sure that you have plenty of time to, uh, you know, sway back and forth and, uh, you know, sing love songs to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Because, isn't it fascinating? They're talking about a true sacrament. Right. You take away the true sacrament and, yeah. But but since American evangelicals have invented, uh, as we talked the other day, an anti-sacrament, you know, uh, since they've invented new sacraments, we've got, which is praise praise and worship, you know, music. Uh, what do they call that? Powo? Pro-wo? Co-wo? Co-wo. Is that it? Co-wo? Yeah, corporate worship. Oh, contemporary worship. worship. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Kowo. I'm starting to lose my evangelical lingo. Good. It's kind of a good thing. It is a good thing. uh, So, yeah, we want to make sure that you have plenty of time to do that and to ask the Holy Spirit, as you just said, divorced from the Word, uh, what He wants you to do with this. And so here's the third type of baptism. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Many Many of us will... Uh, we'll talk about the baptism into the body, salvation. Oh, that's cool. Water baptism. Okay, I can do that. But for some reason, the baptism in the Holy Spirit freaks us out. And we've kind of talked about it off and on through this through this series. And really in the first part, we kind of introduced this idea of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism that came on the day of Pentecost once Jesus had gone back to heaven and the Holy Spirit came. And I want to read some, I want to read some verses to you, because I find it interesting that uh, when you're baptized into the Holy Spirit, all three things we mentioned earlier are still present. The person doing the baptizing is Jesus, and we're going to see that in just a moment. The Bible tells us it's Jesus. It's Jesus doing the baptizing. The person being baptized is you, and the element, which is not the right word in this case, the person that you are being baptized into is the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is the moment, this is the time, this is the baptism where you are immersed and submerged into the Holy Spirit. Really? I mean, I'm trying to imagine like a uh, a diagram of this <laughs> right, right, yeah. with these three. <laughs> it is getting yeah. so convoluted. And obviously, I know what is in your mind. You know, what does Peter say at the end of his sermon and the people at, at the end of his sermon all ask the question, what shall we do? They're cut to the heart, right? Yep. God has used his holy law in his apostle Peter's mouth to convict them, which is exactly what with the scripture that we started off with, you know, that I will send the Holy Spirit and he will convict the world concerning sin. Well, I'll be doggone. That's what he did. That's yeah. what he did. And what must we do to be saved? This is what they ask. And what does Peter tell them? It says, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So you get the gift of the Holy Spirit at your water baptism? Yes, and and this is the teaching of Titus chapter 3 as well, uh, where the Holy Spirit is poured out on us through uh, baptism. Um, And, you know, there's a problem here, too. no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. 
So the people who have gotten in his schema, the first baptism, already have the Holy Spirit. Um, they already have Jesus. Uh, well, whatever. You know, what's the point? I I know where he's going. It's got to be speaking in tongues and stuff like that, or, or not, or is it? But it is, you know, power, yeah, and it yeah. is, uh, well, maximum impact. Oh, I see, because this is Impact Church. Yep, okay. Where you are fully immersed and submerged into the Holy Spirit. This baptism that Jesus does is one of the things that uh, not everything in one of the Gospels is mentioned in all four, but this is. And I want to read it to you in all four Gospel, uh, the way that it was written four different times so that we can see it together. That is Jesus that's doing the baptizing and that this is an actual real thing. Matthew 3.11, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandal. He, who is he? Jesus. Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down like a slave and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Luke 3.16, John answered their question by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in John, as John's writing it about really himself, then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. In other words, God said, the one that you see the Holy Spirit rest on, that's going to be the one that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And John said, I saw it happen. I watched it happen right before my eyes. Jesus is the one who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. It's clear that we see that. And now I want to try to answer the question to the best of my ability, uh, not in its entirety, but the question as to why we need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we read this in week one, but I want to read it again today. It's in Acts chapter one, starting in verse four. Jesus is, is, is saying these things. It says, while being together and eating with them, this is the amplified uh, Bible. He commanded them never to leave, not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the, the Father had promised, of which he said, you have heard me speak. In other words, I've, I've, I've been telling you this. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. Jesus himself is saying, listen, John baptized with water, but you, you, will be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit not long from now. So when they had come together, they asked him repeatedly, Lord, are you at this time reestablishing the kingdom and restoring it to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus is sitting with them, and he says, you, not long from now, you are going to be baptized and empowered and united with the Holy Spirit. You're going to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. And they start asking questions like, has the time come for you to fix everything? Has the time come for you to do what we've heard of for so long that is going to be? Has the time come for this? And Jesus says, those things are not for you to know. The Father knows those things, and he has set the times, and that's his authority to do that. But here's what you need to know, is that you will receive power and ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to tell people about me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. So why is the baptism in the Holy Spirit so important for every believer? Here's what Jesus said. I think Jesus said it brings power and ability to be his witnesses to tell people about him. In other words, there's an important thing. I have just told you, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do all of these things. It's important for you to go and do this. And right after that, he says, but wait. Somebody say, but wait. (laughs) Don't leave here. And go start trying to do what I just told you to do until you are united and empowered and have been given ability when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You need to wait until you receive the Holy Spirit before you go and do these things. And he says, it's going to bring you power. He's going to bring you ability to be my witnesses, to tell people about This to me is like a new rule, like a new commandment to wait for the Holy Spirit or to to, to get baptized by the Holy Spirit. And clearly the apostles, Jesus gives this directive to the apostles. So this special outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's been promised, I mean, from the prophets on, including in the uh, by Jesus himself and he's given us all these testimonies Um, John chapter 16 devotes itself 15 and 16 devotes itself almost exclusively to the giving of the Holy Spirit right Um, then you get this down payment uh, on the night of the resurrection where Jesus comes in their midst breathes on them says receive the Holy Spirit whosoever sins you forgive they've been forgiven them so right what did they receive then receive the Holy Spirit So he breathes on them on the night of the resurrection, says, receive, receive the Holy Spirit, whosoever sins you forgive, and so on. And then, um, according to his promise, he unleashes the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in accord with a, the prophecy of Joel. Um, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Uh, and he pours it out on all flesh. Then, amazingly, what happens on the on the day of Pentecost is that in the power of the Spirit, the apostles preach. The people who hear it are cut to shreds by their proclamation. Again, this is returning to what you said earlier. What shall we do? And the apostle says, um, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so here it gets tied. There it gets tied back up into the baptism of water. Uh, and we see this in Titus chapter 3, where God pours out the Holy Spirit on us through baptism, which is a washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he 
poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of everlasting life. We don't hear any of this from St. Paul before he does any of his missionary journeys, do we? Of him stopping before we go and saying we need to wait so that the Holy Spirit can give us power and ability. No, because the deed's already done. Right. Right? On Pentecost. That's when the Lord does it. Um, And he fulfills his promise, um, like in the sermon he preached last night, uh, he fulfills his promise in John 16 um, that the Holy Spirit is actively convicting the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Um, Anyone who hears the proclamation of Christ is convicted one way or the other, either convicted unto faith or convicted unto judgment. But, you know, I mean, what I'm hearing here, it just falls into the category that is in so many American evangelical churches, and that is the whole varsity team and just on the JV team. There must be a lot of people on JV, I would guess. And he wants them on varsity? Yeah, well, that's just my assumption that, I mean, how many people are going to be on varsity? In any, if this is if this is the measure, it seems like he's got a lot of people on the uh, the the peewee team because it's. <laughs> I mean, you, we can't even yeah. get them to be water baptized. They've right. made a decision for Jesus. We got to get them onto the <laughs> JV team, and then we got to get them all the way over onto the varsity with uh, this being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus has commissioned us to go into all the world to make disciples, to baptize them, to teach them to obey. And the power and true ability to do that comes through, I believe, receiving or being completely immersed or submerged in the Holy Spirit. Immersed or submerged in the Holy Spirit. I heard somebody say it this way when we were talking about receiving the Holy Spirit. And, well, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? We're given the Holy Spirit whenever we get saved, yes, the Holy Spirit comes and resides within you, lives within you. But they put it, they put it this way. They said, isn't there a difference? Have you ever had your, you know, your mother-in-law or somebody that 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 lived off just come stay with you and just moved into your house? Are they living with you? Are they living in your house? Yep. Have you received them? They might be living in your home, but have you received it? Like, have you welcomed them? Have you have you been immersed and submerged? And it's like you're in full agreement with everything that this person wants to do in your home? See, at this point now, we would be saying, you're getting colder. You're yeah. getting colder. Like, you're frigid. You're at the North Pole. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, he's really walked away from it and and taken away the certainty that God wants to give through baptism. And man, can you feel the legalism there? Oh, it's huge, isn't it? Yeah. Basically, what he's doing is he's taking the what you might call the Christian mood swings and elevating the one where you're feeling super pious to the highest level and saying the other one is is really no good. But then what are you say? Are you saved? If your mother-in-law just lives with you, but you haven't received her, are you saved? Right. I mean, 
it was great when he was making biblical arguments. Now he's making arguments from yeah, everyday life. Yeah. Because many of us are walking around with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but we are not we are not submitted. We have not received him. He's there. You've been baptized by him into the body. Maybe you've even water baptized and you've understood the significance of that and how important it is. But I think it's when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you are, when, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when you are immersed and submerged into, when you are united, as the Amplified Bible says it, you are empowered and united with the Holy Spirit. You receive, that's where the power comes from. That's where the ability comes from. That's where we can now start to operate in these gifts and these things that, that God has, has given us and given the church, given the body. They, they come from receiving the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit. Um, why did the early church and even Paul want to make sure that believers had received the Holy Spirit? Because that's where the power and the ability, they were, they were on mission. We're not on mission anymore, y'all. And I think because we're not on mission, that's why we don't even, like, I don't, you know, like, Paul's going to these people, Peter's going to these people, and he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you've been saved? Why is it so important? Because we're on a mission. We're on a mission. Oh, this is uh, one of those uh, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. Yes. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah, and this is a... <laughs> it feels like a, a seven-day trip already. <laughs> a seven-day trip that you come home and uh, your mother-in-law is now living in the house. <laughs> but you haven't received her. And you're more exhausted than when you left, yeah. We're not living for us. And we need the power, and we need the ability, and we need these things to be able to flow out of us. We, you need to receive the Holy Spirit because we're on mission. We're on mission. Paul also tells us that there are these, you know, spiritual gifts, and we read some of those several weeks back, and we talked about those, but for the sake of time, we're not going to go into all of that today, that we're able to operate in and build up and edify the church as the body when we receive the Holy Spirit. We're able to build each other up, edify, and we talked about these several weeks ago, and we see as we continue to read in Acts that one of the things that the believers were able to do, listen to me, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit was speak in tongues. Can we talk about the Bible at church? <laughs> when you read, it's like, well, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. And the Holy Spirit gave them this ability, and the Holy Spirit empowered them to do this. And, and we, you see this a lot, a lot. You need, go read the book of Acts. You need to go read the book of Acts. They were able to speak in tongues. Now, for the sake of time, I cannot go into this, but I think it's two separate things, praying in the Spirit and speaking in tongues, the gift that was given to the church. But Paul, listen to me. Listen to me. Why, why would Paul tell us in Ephesians 6 to put on the full armor of God and pray in the Spirit 
on every occasion and in all circumstances. If the Spirit wasn't going to give us the ability to do it, if we didn't need it, why would Paul say, you need to pray in the Spirit? You need to pray in the Spirit. You need to pray in the Spirit. You need to pray in the Spirit. You need this ability. You need this in your life. Being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a vital part of being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus. Will you stand to your feet today? I'll go ahead and bring the worship team back. And Well, they're going to stand up and, you know, sing their love songs to Jesus, looking up at him as if he's sitting in the rafters. And I guess they're going to make decisions for Jesus and ask the Holy Spirit what they're supposed to do. But it's a real letdown, isn't it? It was. I This last part left me exhausted and uh, kind of actually earlier on, I wasn't exhausted. Right. This this exhausted me, and this. Well, then when he got into the second part, you're thinking, oh, "Okay, okay, it, it, it's almost like energizing." There was some decent stuff, right? Yeah. But then this last, the third point of the, the third second baptism, point, you're not, you're not a, no. you're so you're going to stop at two. You're going to stay stop on, at one. Oh, you're going to stop at one. Stop at one. Oh, well, one is just inviting Jesus in your heart. Right. So you really are no, going to you're going to first one. skip over one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And stay, and stay with two. Stay in the middle. Yep. How how did the early church misread, so misread <laughs> oh, right. this to come up with one baptism, right, for the remission of sins? Well, it goes back and, to Zipporah, man, just absolutely disgusted at the way in which God works. Yes, yeah, so there's got to be a better thing. There's got to be something else. Yep. That was a bumble of just, you know, this is somebody, uh, you early on said something in our relationship. Um, you had all of the products in your store, but stuck in the wrong cubby holes. Uh, and and this, this just really, this shows you what happens when you don't have any way of taking all the pieces of scriptural teaching and making sense of them. That's exactly right. I wrote a newsletter article from that conversation, I believe. Uh, one of my first here at uh, St. John's. And the the visual image is that of going into a grocery store and finding, what we say? Uh, like uh, milk products uh, beside what? Pasta. And then you go down the line a little bit further, and then you've got motor oil beside the pasta. Like th- these things, they they're not in the right families. They're they're not in the right groupings. Whereas when you go into a real grocery store, it's not like that. You've got the fruits and you've got the vegetables and the meats over there and the dairies over here, and it's a great way to find things. But in the American evangelical world, everything's in there, but it is in the most craziest places. Beside this and beside that and underneath this, and you can really tell it here, you know, can't you? Yes. Yep. Yeah, I'm exhausted. Okay. Well, well, I mean, listen, they're getting ready to stand up and uh, to sing and to make some decisions. I mean, do you want to? No. Do you want to stand up I, and sing? And I want to stand up and go. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the music. And so it's been great being with you, Pastor Bruss, as always. And we'll do it again next time. Very good. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors Devin Kearns and John Bruss. If you'd like to support the work they do, 
go to their Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash the plucked chicken. 